Hello and welcome to Down and Distance. This is your host, Austin Gale, with his co-host, John Marsh. John, how are you doing today? Some big pro days going on. There's a lot of guys I want to talk about. Are you ready for this? Yeah, absolutely. Let's get into it. All right, so first one, the most talked about, this is one that you're just going to see, obviously well-documented as, as we inch closer to this draft. Lamar Jackson has Prude at Houston. Uh, you know, obviously chose not to run the 40. I want your take on that first. He didn't run the 40 at the Combine. He didn't run the 40 at the Pro Day. W- what are you thinking? Yeah, it's kind of interesting that he decided not to run it today. I understand at the Combine he was trying to make the statement about him being a quarterback, but NFL teams want to see what you run. He's an athlete. He's got that out-of-the-pocket presence, and he ran the ball a lot in college, so they want to see what he ran. And for him not to run it kind of makes me think possibly maybe he's not going to run as fast as people think, and he's worried about that, or there's something else behind it. Because at this point, he's kind of already dispelled the receiver rumors. No one's really talking about it anymore. So I don't understand why he wouldn't at least give us a taste of how fast he is. Yeah, and I'm with you. I think I'm on, I'm on both, both sides of the coin for some reason. Like I'm on your side as well, saying like, hey, this is a strength run the 40 yard dash to prove that you're fast. Cause we all know you're fast. You're athletic and we want to see that speed. And you know, if I was really good at something, I'd want every, all 32 teams present there, all 32 of them to see how good I was at it, especially at the pro day pro day numbers are always faster than the combine. He had that working for him, even if he was going to run a bit slower. But then again, I was having a conversation with one of the guys in the office here at pro football focus. He's saying, you know, if you're really good at something, why do you have to show it you know, again? Why, why do you have to show it? You know, it's on tape how fast he is. It, it can only knock him. If he's really fast, they're going to say, yeah, we thought that. If he's really slow, it's going to tear him down draft boards, and people are going to overanalyze that number more so than they would if he didn't. He chose not to run it. I think the only reason it's drawing a little red flags for both you and, and that half side of the coin for me is that no one's ever done it before. You know, mobile quarterbacks always run the 40-yard dash. They do it every single time. So him being the first uh, of the group without injury is obviously kind of kind of weird and an outlier, of course. But the fact of the matter is, if it's an already a strength, it's like choosing not to throw at the combine. It's like, hey, Sam Darnold knows he's he's a great great thrower. He's not going to take a chance at the combine. He'll do it at the pro. Uh, I guess he does do it at the pro day. I don't know. This is why I'm on both sides of the coin. Yeah. Well, the thing the thing for me is, is if he's going to try and boost himself past those other guys, the Josh Rosens and the Sam Darnolds it's going to have to be with this 40 because it, like you said on tape, his throwing accuracy is the thing that's a question His in the pocket presence and all that. So if he was going to jump past anyone and possibly make a leap on this draft board, it was going to be with this 40 yard dash because people are going to see that and want to build around that. So him not doing it to me kind of just kept him as that, uh, fourth quarterback off the board or even possibly fifth. Yeah, I, I, and I'm with you there. Another thing I want to talk about Lamar, and it's obviously kind of going on, you know, a, a wild discussion in the scouting community right now or even just the NFL community is you see Mel Kuyper, Mel Kuyper Jr. say that, you know, stats are for losers. That's his quote that kind of gets tossed around and he doesn't want to put too much pressure on completion percentage and things like that. That's why, you know, he's obviously an avid Josh Allen fan. I know you are too. But he says, you know, his completion percentage, though low, doesn't matter. Stats are for losers. But then with Lamar Jackson in a comment, a conference call with several beat writers around the NFL community, he says, you know, his accuracy has never been that good. You can see he finished with a 57% completion percentage. And, and you, look at, you look at that and, you know, you can bring completion percentage up for one guy and you can't bring it up for another. I just think that, that level of bias, one, is leading people to think that, you know, Mel Kuyper's racist and everyone wants to kind of bring that side of the discussion up. But more so, I think... It, he's just biased in terms of he already likes this guy. He, he wants to be right about this guy. And, and yeah, that bias kind of came out a little bit. But I'm not willing to jump to the racial side of things. What, what's your take on that, that, that kind of differing comment between the two guys? I, I think you hit it on the head with Mel Kuyper has his guys that he likes. And he's willing to throw out stats and use stats against the guys that he doesn't like to try and support his own. 
So when you bring up a stat against a guy that he likes, he's going to shoot it down as it's it's about what's on tape and it's about what you see just so that he can kind of support his guys. And I, I think that's more of it anything than when it comes to race at all. And I think you answered that perfectly. It's it, it's it's the dynamic of the modern day opinion. You know, if if I really like Philip Lindsay out of Colorado, who's a super small back, has pass catching ability and all this stuff, I'm going to find those stats and those grades and those metrics that kind of boost that up and and prove my point. But when I see some stats, maybe or some you know anecdotal stuff, even that goes against my my liking of him, I'm always one to shoot it down, saying you know maybe size doesn't matter in a running back, or you know he, he's he's big enough, he doesn't need to be big to be good in pass protection and stuff like that. I totally agree with you. And when you're just that high on a guy and you're, you know, you're that gung ho on him, you can get, you can start to have those biases, especially when, you know, when dealing with other quarterbacks that maybe you don't like. Yeah. You put the blinders on, you just see what you want to see. <laughs> perfect. Perfect way of describing it. Another pro day I want to discuss obviously also happened today. And it was again, well-documented because it has, a, it has a star in my opinion, and obviously a, a really true success story in Shaquem Griffin. If you don't already know, Shaquem Griffin's a name that's going to continue to pop up because he had a birth de- birth defect early to where his arm had to be – not his arm, I apologize. His hand had to be amputated at four years old, and, and now he's still been able to move up the ranks in terms of getting invited to the scouting combine. And now he's a legitimate draft prospect being interviewed by these teams. Had a very good pro day. They ran him through some DB drills, some linebacker drills, but at the end he voiced – how much he wants to be close to the line of scrimmage. He loves the line of scrimmage. He likes being in the trenches, so to speak. What's your take on, on his position at the next level? You know, he ran that fast speed. He's got the size. His brother's a corner. But again, you know, that, that one hand's going to come into play. He wants to play the line of scrimmage. Where do you see him playing at the next level? I think he's definitely going to be on the line of scrimmage. But when it comes to those DB drills and showing that athleticism, that's just going to make teams uh, kind of enjoy the possibility of his diversity right there. If he can play other positions or they can make scheme sort of plays where he drops into coverage. That's just going to rise him up the boards. And I don't think it's going to change his position per se and make him an off ball linebacker, but it gives the teams the opportunity to line him up there in kind of some fringe defenses. Yeah, for sure. That, that positional versatility is something that's highly regarded among a lot of GMs, a lot of defensive coordinators. I mean, you see it all the time where they bring in a guy that can play on, on the line of scrimmage or at off ball, but this guy, this is a guy I can play off-ball linebacker. He can play edge defender. He can step back into maybe even a safety role with that speed. He's just a guy I want on my team. You add in the success story, the effort, and all that stuff. He's just a guy I want on my team. Another thing I wanted to bring up with him is that, you know, Shaquem Griffin, at the end of his pro day, was taking taking pictures with uh, two teenagers, it looked like, some, some young adults maybe, that both had 3D-printed arms. And I, I just think... That success story for for you know other kids and other people dealing with those you know dealing with that you know not necessarily a disability but you know that in their lives the fact that you know they're they're you know missing and missing an arm or missing a, a missing a hand and things like that is just so nice to see and I think that's a success story that the people in the NFL want. You know, another guy I want to bring up at UC's pro, not UC UCF's pro days, Mike Hughes. This is a corner that's a little bit smaller than the rest of the guys. It reminds me so much of Jason Barry. He had a killer pro day. I loved his interviews. I think this is a corner that I think could do some big things, maybe at the tail end of the first round, if not early day two. It is, I, I know you're high on another corner, though. Can you, can you talk to me about your guy? Yeah, sort of kind of a different build and almost a different player. I, I really liked Carlson, Carlton Davis coming out of Auburn, and he has a different skill set than Mike Hughes. He's a bigger guy. He plays on the line. He's more of a press corner. Uh, and I'm more of a guy that kind of likes that sort of corner rather than one of these small guys with, that doesn't have elite speed coming out. When you have that size, it really helps, I think, at the NFL, being able to at least be able to match up against some of these more possession receivers 
And uh, I think he shows that he could be a great scheme fit for a team. Yeah, for sure. And I want to be the guy that loves the undersized kids that are coming out, trying to, trying to ball out. They still show great skills on tape and all that stuff. But we've seen time and time again with these shorter corners just struggling significantly early in their careers and not really able to turn it, especially if they don't have elite, elite speed. More, more Ever more often, you're able to turn a, a longer, taller corner into something you know playable, something you know average and able to play on along the boundary then you are able to see a shorter corner you know excel and, and stay off the you know stay off the injury list i think going to carlton davis he's a guy that i think with the bigger build maybe has you know maybe has a lower ceiling than hughes but definitely a higher floor in that he's a little bit longer he's got i mean i think he's even a little bit faster i, I like the davis pick too yeah well the only issue for me is just with mike hughes at that four five forty it's just like you said some of these slower smaller dbs tend to struggle at the next level when they're taking on nfl talent yeah, and I couldn't agree with you more. I, I think that you know makes complete sense, and it's gonna you know you're always gonna have that fight between shorter corners and taller corners, and some people think it's not an issue, and some people think there's you know a limit. You have to be over five ten. You have to be at least five eleven to kind of really have success in this league to be up there in that percentages. And I, I think there's a side of me that agrees with them, and that's why maybe some some you know some of the guys want to lead towards Colton Davis and overlook Mike Hughes. But in the end of it, if you can ball out and you're able to you know, gain that confidence early in your career, confidence is so key for the cornerback position, specifically defensive backs, is to where if you're able to have that confidence and play you know, without thinking and more reacting, you can, be, you can play at a high level even, even if you're a smaller guy. Yeah, and, and I mean, Carlton Davis also ran a 4-5-4, four, so I'll take the size any day. <laughs> there you go right there. Uh, there there's a now moving from these draft prospects and these pro days. So I want to dive into a little bit of free agency here. Specifically, the Raiders. I think it, they've been widely talked about over Twitter and the NFL community of just practically signing a retirement home in terms of age of the players they're signing. They brought in Leon Hall. They brought in Reggie Nelson. All these guys above thirty. Lee Smith was resigned. You got Josh Johnson, who was drafted originally by Gruden all the way back then and hasn't thrown an NFL pass in X amount of years. Uh, what's your take on Gruden's on Gruden's on Gruden's um? idea here what's his philosophy why is he bringing all these older guys and do you think it's a good move well you kind of Gruden's talked about it a little bit because he's heard he's heard the news as well about him signing all these old guys and most of these backup signings that you see that are mostly kind of in the long in the tooth are guys that are familiar with both Gwenther's system as well as John Gruden's and I think he's bringing them in to kind of ease the transition between the systems and help these Ra- the Raiders that are on the team now handle the upcoming terminology and everything that's coming their way from both of these new coaches and make it so there's not as much as a learning period between the team yeah and i agree with you i think gunther is going to have you know install a new defense there's a lot of new coaches in the building that bring in some veterans that have experience learning different schemes i mean leon hall's been with four different teams in the last four seasons so i i think that's a great idea on that part and i'm glad you brought up gruden's comments the only thing with me is is that if the raiders are going to put out leon hall in the slot Reggie Nelson at free safety, play Marcus Gilchrist and Sharice Wright along the boundary, that team is going to be very, very slow. It's going to be unathletic, slow, and just the age is going to you know, really show its true colors there. However, if this turns into these guys are playing a depth role and, and maybe even cut before the regular season, don't even make the 53 and just help kind of installing the scheme and teaching some of these younger players on the way up. That's where I see the ideal situation. If Gruden is forced to show his hand and play all these older dudes, I think the Raiders, specifically the secondary with all those old guys I just mentioned, this could be bad news for the, for the first year of Gruden and Raiders. 
Oh, don't get me wrong. If any of those guys that we mentioned end up starting in a starting role, then we are absolutely screwed. Uh, There's just no way that they could cover anyone. Tyreek Hill, if he plays the Raiders with that defensive backfield, go ahead and start him in your fantasy lineups. Go ahead and bet bet him on in Vegas. He's putting up crazy numbers. There's just no way that anyone on that that we mentioned would be able to cover him. Staying with the Raiders here, moving to the offensive side of the ball, you see they released Clive Wolford and obviously a bust coming out of Miami in the third round who was a, a self-proclaimed dual threat tight end. Thought he was the answer at the position. In my opinion, when he was coming out, I saw a lot of good things from him. And, and, and instead, now they have Derek Carrier, a blocking tight end. Lee Smith resigned, a blocking tight end. And now they have Jared Cook. And when you look at the receiving core, you got Dory Nelson, who's a little bit slower, lost a step. They traded away their fastest, easily one of their fastest receivers in Cordero Patterson. They're getting slower and and maybe more age and experience on that side of the ball as well. What does that say about Gruden's offense? I, I think it's going to be very interesting to see how this plays out. When you mentioned we're losing a lot of the a lot of young talent. And I, I you mentioned the tight end position specifically. Derek Carrier, Lee Smith. Those guys at backup tight end, I would love to know how many combined catches they have. It's got to be under 25 for their entire career. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how that works out. And even with Jordy Nelson out there, the speed is gone. So it's going to be, I think, a lot of short routes, a lot of a lot of intermittent stuff to try and get Derek Carr in rhythm. I just don't – I can't see how we don't draft a wide receiver at this point uh, a little earlier than a lot of people thought, possibly even the second round. Yeah, and I'm with you on that. You know, looking at the wide receiver position specifically, John Gruden has said that is a position he still wants to upgrade, whether it be through free agency, which there's not a lot of guys left. But given given who he signed, he might be looking under rocks and recently retired. Maybe Steve Smith comes out of the broadcast booth. I don't even know. But he's, he said it's a position he wants he wants to draft for. And, and going back to the tight ends, I'm not so worried about Derek Carrier and Lee Smith's combined catches. I'm worried about their combined yak. I want to know what their yards after contact – I mean, yards after catch – uh, is combined because I don't think these guys do much in terms of you know dynamic ability after the catch. These are guys who catch it, fall to the ground, or, 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 or hit immediately, and don't really have that that nuance in their game to create plays and, and make plays happen and, and, and score touchdowns and, and really be offensive sparks. Back to the wide receiver position. If they had to draft a guy in that on that day too, are there some names that stand out to you that you would love to see in the silver and black? I mean, honestly, I would just hope that, then this is me not even being realistic, but just praying, this is my true Raider fan coming out, just hope one of those guys that should be in the first round falls because maybe they just do. Maybe a Cortland Sutton falls because people don't like him. Because mm-hmm. realistically, in that second round, there's not a lot of guys up where we're at that I could see being available that we should draft. And you mentioned looking under rocks. There's just not a lot of guys left. And we might be, even though they said they still want to address it, I don't think they're going to be able to properly address it before the season starts. Yeah, I think it'd have to be in the draft. And if I'm looking at some names in that second, third round, Deshaun Hamilton out of Penn State stands out. He's a versatile receiver. He can play in the slot. He can play outside. I think he's the best route runner in this class. And I know that was, that's what John Gruden's all about. He wants Jordy Nelson because he's a better route runner than Michael Crabtree. He traded away Cordero Patterson because he might be one of the worst route runners in the game. You bring in a guy like Deshaun Hamilton, the learning curve for Gruden's offense is significantly less steep than a guy like even Cortland Sutton. You got, you know, uh, Cedric Wilson at Boise State, some of those other names you hear. This guy can master those routes and have that expansive route tree where you can put him in the slot and have him run a hitch and go or a hairpin, and he's able to do it with, with class. But some of these other guys that maybe have more bigger size or more speed aren't going to be able to run everything Gruden's throwing at him. I think Deshaun Hamilton's a guy you're going to want to keep your name, I mean, keep your eye on as we head towards the draft. 
Now, speaking of this wide receiver position, the Raiders were interested in possibly bringing in who is now a Cleveland Brown, former Miami Dolphins Jarvis Landry, which is a perfect transition to talking about this Miami Dolphins team, who I think is in a bit of a rebuild without without much pieces to rebuild with. I, I think trading away Jarvis Landry, Adamakon Sue released, Jay Ajayi was released, I mean, traded last season, he ends up winning a Super Bowl. What's going on with this Miami Dolphins team? And do you think bringing back Ryan Tannehill does a lot for this team? Are they a playoff team? What's your take on this roster and their overall scope? Yeah. Well, okay. So when you're talking about this Dolphins team, I think it starts at where they decide to go at with their number one pick because a lot of teams have, or a lot of experts have them selecting a quarterback in the first round. And I think that speaks to where they're at with Ryan Tannehill. If they decide to pass on a quarterback and they roll the dice with Ryan Tannehill again, that's where they're at. The Frank Gore signing really hurts me just to see that they're taking that big of a step back as far as having Frank Gore and Cameron Wake on the roster, two ageless wonders there. You're only really allowed to have one and still be good, <laughs> I think, is a rule. So uh, we'll see what they end up doing with that first-round pick, and I think that really tells the tale for them. Yeah, I, with, in, terms of the, in terms of the Frank Gore signing, I think it's more because obviously he came out of Miami. He, want, he probably wants to you know, finish his career there. If he was going to play another season, I think going home makes sense for him. And I like Kenyon Drake a lot. Put him with a veteran that's been around the league probably double the amount of times Kenyon Drake might even stay in the league. But put him into the guy that's experienced and help him bring him up a little bit because Kenyon Drake doesn't have a lot of starter experience and he's going to need to learn it fast because I think they're going to he's a the guy they want to lean on next year. But in terms of that number one pick, if they do end up making a kind of a trade up, which has been has been mocked in certain scenarios for a quarterback, I think that just goes to show that they're not ready. They're not ready to stick to Tannehill and they think they need to move on to bigger and better things. And we're going to try and skate around this AFC East here. I want to talk Dolphins, and I also want to talk these Patriots. There's rumors that they were looking for a quarterback in this draft, or, poss- or possibly, you know, looking to pick one up in free agency or something to kind of, maybe not free agency, but looking to pick up one in this draft to kind of be the future heir apparent to Tom Brady. Is there a guy that maybe in that day two, day three that stands out to you that you know just is born to be in that Patriots uniform? I think a guy that definitely stands out for me uh, for a late round pick for them would be Luke Falk. I think if he falls into the third round, we could easily see the Patriots trading up to get him, maybe even in the second. He has he has the mindset, and he would definitely fit in that Patriot lifestyle. And he's a guy who could definitely benefit, as everyone could, coming out of the draft, sitting behind Tom Brady and learning a little bit and, and turning into that Jimmy G scenario again. Yeah, I agree with you. I think, I think Luke Falk is a great, great name. Also, Richmond's Kyle LaLeta. Obviously, not, not a Division One prospect, and, and I think he fills right into that Jimmy G role where he comes in, takes a year, maybe plays a couple games because Tom Brady, I don't, I don't know, he's able to come in late and things like that. I think Kyle Laletta is a guy that I know in that day three range, that the, or maybe even day two, that the that, that Tom Brady that the Tom Brady heir apparent might, starts to make sense, where the Patriots might need to pull the trigger. I think he makes sense. Uh, another Patriots thing I want to talk about was that they're going to potentially trade Gronk. What do you need to receive if you're the Patriots to feel good about trading away Gronk? Wow, that's I think he's right up there with an OBJ trade if that were to happen. I think you have to ask for the same sort of thing. Two first rounds, a first round and an early second. Um, to get re- He is really what makes that offense work. And when he's out of the lineup, you see it kind of struggle. So for them to trade that away and go a different direction, I think would have to be pretty game-changing as far as draft capital. Yeah, I don't know if I agree with you there. I think with, the, with, with him like mulling over retirement, he obviously has that party lifestyle. You don't know how he committed he is to being on the field. 
if I'm another team and maybe the time you could tell, you know, the, you know, the Patriots aren't giving the full scope on Gronk. They're giving you that flashy PowerPoint that says he's the best and he's worth those two first rounders you mentioned. But I think this guy, in terms of his mindset and how he wants to play, that if he goes to a team, say like, so let's say the Browns call up, uh, even though they wouldn't really want to tight end, but maybe a team that's drafting in the top five this year calls up and says, hey, we're thinking about trading you Gronk, blah, blah, blah. If he goes to a losing team and really has that taste of what the playoffs don't taste like, I think this is a guy who retires the next year, and I don't know if people are ready to trade that much draft capital for a guy that's been mulling retirement on one of the most winningest teams in the NFL. It doesn't get much worse. I mean, it doesn't get much better than the New England Patriots, and I think if he went to a team that has a little bit more struggle, that doesn't have all the, you know, the the bells and whistles of the New England England Patriots franchise has, I think this is a guy that tunes himself out, similar to maybe when Randy Moss was traded to the Raiders and totally didn't even commit. But then when he gets traded back to the – I mean, not traded back, but traded to a winning team like the Patriots, balls out with Tom Brady for 50-plus touchdowns or whatever it was. I think that's what I could see happening with Gronk, and I think that's what's going to drive his trade value down. I think think to counter that, I got to say, I think the Patriot way – isn't for everyone. And I think that's really draining on Gronkowski. You mentioned his lifestyle that he likes, he likes to be a fun guy and and kind of play around and stuff. And I don't think that really fits in, in the Patriots organization. So I could see that kind of be the thing that's draining on him and making it a little harder for him to want to come back to that grind it out. Everything's so serious kind of team. And if he was to go to a team with maybe a little more upbeat, like a Pete Carroll wow, kind of place, I could see him thriving and really, really. I said, read in my mind, man. You're reading my mind. I was thinking, as soon as you said that, I, I was thinking instantly Seahawks. He goes to the Seahawks. They're not the most winningest team. They've had some struggle, but I think that's a team where you got a high energy coach and that atmosphere seems good, but they're in a bit of a rebuild too. I don't know if they're in a position, but I like that idea though, in terms of that atmosphere, that like high energy coach atmosphere for Gronk. Maybe he, the Patriot way isn't for him. Mm-hmm. I think he had a perfect counter. I can see it going both ways. But I, if I'm a, a GM, I'm not spending anything more than, I think, a first rounder on Gronk. And, and I, even a first rounder for me is just like kind of stretching it given I don't know how long this guy's going to play. Yes, he's only 28 years old, but I don't know how much longer until he's going to want to hang up the cleats, especially with how injury prone he's been. Another bad shoulder injury, another concussion. This guy could be done. You're possibly buying damaged goods, and you have to factor that in to when you're offering up such significant draft capital. Yeah, and when you compare him to OBJ, I think the biggest thing, because they both have a little bit of an injury history, would just be the age, because OBJ is so much younger, and he can stick with your team for forever. So uh, I I agree with you that it wouldn't be two first rounds, but I still... And this last thing we want to touch on before we dive into our state of the franchise, the New York Jets, is this AFC East Buffalo Bills. They obviously have made some strides to trade up in the draft. I know they're targeting QB. They're not going to want to roll out a combination of A.J. McCarron and Nathan Peterman in 2018. If they do get up into that top five, maybe even you know top six to get a gunslinger, who's the best fit in Buffalo? Wow. Um, I don't think really it's a question of if they get up there because at this point with all the draft capital they've acquired – it's it's a pretty much a foregone conclusion that they're going to make their way up there. Uh, I, I think they're going to go and try and get ahead of the Jets there and draft either Sam Darnold or uh, any any of those guys. I think if they can get their hands on any of the top three, which is their goal, they'll be happy. Yeah, I think they have to be eyeing that New York Jets. I mean, New York Giants spot at number two because if they think they can just roll in. Or, or or the Browns spot at number four. I think number two with the Giants and the Browns at number four. But I don't think the Denver Broncos are going to just let them trade above them, you know, as they sleep. You know, I think the I think if the Browns are smart, they're going to hear an offer 
from the from the Bills to climb up. And the Browns were like, yeah, we'll think about it. Hang up the phone, pick up and call John Elway. Say they're coming to get coming ahead of you. Are you ready for that to happen? Are you trying to double up right now? And I think they're going to play both sides of the tr- ball like that. And I think the Bills are going to get up there, but they can't afford to be you know take a risk and not and not try and inch for that number two number two pick with the New York Giants. And if they do get up there, I think the perfect guy to kind of come into their system would be a Baker Mayfield. He's my favorite guy in the class. He's my favorite QB. I said that and said again. And if the Browns do indeed go Darnold, like everyone is saying, I think he'd be the best available for them to go. I think go with the best guy. You trade it all the way up there for him. Bring in a guy that can be really face of the franchise. Put people in the, you know, put people, put butts in seats and, and really turn this franchise for the better. You know, okay. It's pretty much decided at this point. Baker Mayfield's your guy. Josh Allen's my guy. You want to put something on this? Can we do like a who's got a better rookie season? Yes, I'm absolutely because I'm almost willing to. I'm willing to fully bet that my guy has a better season. Oh, a better first season! I am going to absolutely take that bet. I think Baker Mayfield has the better first season in 2018 than Josh Allen, and I think he has the better overall career. Wow, and the better overall career that I'll take all day. Here's the only thing: I'm going to put a little stipulation on it. They got to both start. Yeah, of course, of course, of course. The bill, the bill, the bet is nullified if neither QB starts more than six games. I got, you got to start at least six games for both QBs for the bet to okay, even be games. on. I'm saying, I'll even put this in the bet. I will say Josh Allen doubles Baker Mayfield stats. Whatever, all of them across no, the board. No, no. Okay, gosh, no way. Okay, I'm taking this bet. What are we betting here? Is this Chipotle? Is this beers? We, we need to bet something here. Yeah, let's do a Chipotle on. I can do a Chipotle. Okay, let's do a Chipotle. Chipotle trip. Whoever has the, are we doing it on QB wins, QB stats? This is key here. This is big, the big metric here. What's our, what's our um, KPI? Uh, I'm, I'm saying my, I'm saying Josh Allen, regardless of situation, has a better season in wins and stats than Baker Mayfield. There's okay. just no way. Okay, I, and I'm, I'm taking the counter. I think Baker Mayfield has more wins and better stats in terms of you know touchdown interception ratio, passer rating, all that stuff. And we will break this down in a later podcast at the end of next season to see who actually is right. And I'm excited to see it. We got a couple of them on the board. Now we got, we got the QB bet. Now we got the Browns playoff bet. It's going to be, a, it's going to be, a big oh, yeah, that's, that's these a things one. are going to start piling up when I start winning. Are you ready for that? I'm going to be dining at Chipotle every night. Can't wait. All right. All right. Who we got. So we're onto the, we're on <laughs> the jets here. Yeah. Let's move to the state of the franchise. Let's really break down into this jets roster. They're guys that just traded up from the number six spot to number three. You know, they're eyeing a quarterback. We've talked Josh Allen. We've talked Baker Mayfield. We've talked Sam Darnold. Do you, who do you think is going to be there? And who do you think they should take? Here, here's my thing with the jets. All right. They missed out on the free agency QB carousel. All right. They ended up with Josh McCown and Teddy Bridgewater, two guys that they probably weren't looking to have on their roster going into the free agency. And they trade up to three. And I, the thing that's scary for me is I feel like they're in a situation to once again miss out on the guy they want. Because like we talked about, teams wanting to trade up ahead of them or just the Browns and Giants taking QBs. I feel like they're in a situation to get the the last guy that they want, which whoever that is, probably a Baker Mayfield. Hey, 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 hey. And I, fe- <laughs> and I feel like I feel like they put themselves in a situation to be to lose. It's a lose lose for them because they just didn't trade up far enough. They didn't make a big enough of a move, in my opinion, to get for sure to for sure get the guy that they want. Here's my counter to that, and I know this this might be you know hard to really take in, but I think the Jets are at three. And you have to hope, you have to hope this GM, he's sitting in there, he's like, he's got two QBs in mind, at least two, maybe three. If he has three, he's staying there no matter what, of course. 
But if he's got two QBs in mind that he would more than be willing to start, maybe it's Rosen and Darnold, maybe it's Rosen and Allen, you know, Darnold and you know whoever. But you have to hope that he has a backup plan to trade out with another team that has a, that if, if the two QBs he wants get taken, he can't. The Jets can't afford to say, eh. We didn't get the two guys we want. We'll go with our third choice. It's not a third choice year for the Jets, okay? If your scouting department likes this guy the third best out of all the other guys, I think it's time to bail back. You've made a wrong choice. Trade back so you can get some of the draft capital you lost with other these other QB teams. Wow. These other QB needy teams and, and maybe select a quarterback later in the draft. Lamar Jackson, Kyle Laletta, Luke Falk. Don't spend your high draft capital then now on a guy that you're going to have to commit to for the next two, three years until you're back up there again. I'm sorry. Uh, if the Jets end up trading back from this spot, that could be a worse Jets move than like the butt fumble. Or signing Tim Tebow, I just yeah. cannot. That would be. I didn't like it coming out. That would be horrible if they did that. Um, I think they have the the sad thing for the Jets is they are pretty much devoid as a whole franchise of a lot of young talent. Uh, outside of Jamal Adams and Marcus May in their last draft, two guys they really hit on in that secondary, it's very, very empty as far as young talent that they can build on and they're in a building they're a building franchise right now especially with josh mccown and teddy bridgewater as your qbs yeah they're building into a point where i think i don't know i'm in a position where if they don't if the quarterback they want doesn't fall to them at three then it makes zero sense for them to just take the guy they don't want but again i don't know their draft strategy maybe there's three guys they like maybe there's four i'm not sure they obviously went up there with a plan i just hope they're able to execute the plan not plan c you don't want to be executing plan c at the top of the draft especially when plan c is taking the third best quarterback that you don't really like i just don't think that's a good decision because you're committing to him for at least the next year perhaps two before you even start to think about taking another quarterback at the top of the draft and they have so many other positions of need. They're starting Bilal Powell at running back. Robbie Anderson is on the verge of a suspension. Quincy Anuwa has never panned out. Jermaine Curse is the only good wide receiver on that team. Terrell Pryor needs to, needs to have a comeback year for him to even be legitimate in this league. You said they hit on some defensive players, but that offense, if you don't bring in a quarterback that you at least like, that you're ready to build your offense around, could be, again, one of the worst offenses in the league. Yeah, and well, let me ask you this. If you're one of these top QB prospects – and you end up seeing, you know, the other two guys go ahead of you and the Jets are staring you in the face, you've got to be pretty upset. Because with this offensive line and that receiving core, like you mentioned, and then, I mean, a possible starting running back of Isaiah Crowell, it's going to be a tough, it's going to be tough for any, if my guy Josh Allen goes here, this could be the only situation where I see him not maybe doing better than Baker Mayfield. Hold the phones. Hold the phones. The Jets are saved. They're not taking a quarterback. I just looked at their roster. They got stowed away behind Bryce Petty, behind Christian Hackenberg, the only, the man, the myth, the legend, Joel Stavi, who played the former Nebraska QB, or was it Wisconsin? One of those red teams that was possibly one of the worst QBs that I've ever wa- I had an opportunity to watch. He ended up getting benched for Tanner McAvoy, who's now a wide receiver for the Seattle Seahawks, and now is on the roster. I think Stavi obviously being sarcastic here, is the future of the New York Jets franchise. Isn't he a lefty? I, th- I think he might be a lefty. I just remember him looking 40 years old as a junior in college. He, the, the guy, I don't know how he's in the league. I don't think he makes a 53 next year, I, and I'm sorry to say it. I Well, no, he's not. If you're the fifth-string QB on the Jets, you're not making it to a 53. 
While, while we're digging while we're digging through the strings here, can we talk about Christian Hackenberg? A former second round pick has yet to take a regular season snap. When are they going to give this guy a chance? It does not make any sense to me why they're continuing to bring this guy along. Is he that bad in in practice? Is he that bad to not even give him a chance? Yeah, probably. Yeah, just pro- Yeah, <laughs> he's probably that bad. <laughs> just just flat out. <laughs> he, yes. I mean, in college, he wasn't that great. He, I mean, he had the hype for one season, and he followed that up with two seasons of terribleness. So, yeah, I think he's probably that bad. And he's a guy who will probably land on a roster. He's probably going to get cut by this franchise, especially if they draft someone. And he's he's definitely going to land on someone's roster, and they're just going to see how bad he is and end up getting cut. I'm saying he gets signed by, like, the Bengals, and then he ends up getting cut again. That it, it honestly blows me away that he has not taken a regular season snap. It honestly blows me away. I cannot believe that they drafted a guy numbers in the second round, thinking that he'd be good, and then through all the practice with with Bryce Petty taking starts, with McCown taking starts, this guy has not taken a regular season snap. I, I don't. I honestly and a loss for words. Is that not the worst draft pick ever? Is that is that not the worst draft pick? Is, I know first rounders get more of the bust bust scenario because they're higher draft capital and things like that. But if you draft a second round pick and refuse to play him behind Josh McCown, Bryce Petty, I think some other guys even took snaps in these years prior. Is that not just the one of the worst scouting developments you've ever heard of? Well, especially considering when you think about him coming out in the draft, he wasn't even projected to go in the second round. He was like a day three guy. He was a fourth, fifth, sixth round guy, and they picked him in the second. Uh, Yeah, I think that could go up there as one of the biggest busts, especially for this Jets team. Um, I mean, we bash on him a lot here. Is there anything that you do like about this Jets team, possibly anywhere on this roster? I mean, we've even talked about how much we don't like the Tremaine Johnson signing. Is there anything that they've done this offseason that – Gives you hope? I mean, Avery Williamson's a stud. I think driving him at inside linebacker, paying him with Darren Lee could have some success there. I think Avery Williamson has proved in recent years that he, he can play in this league. I think Buster Screen has shown talent. You mentioned those safeties, Jamal Adams, Marcus May. On the defensive side of the ball, I think there's some building blocks. Leonard Williams has been very good. You, Xavier Cooper has even flashed, even though coming out undrafted. I think there's a lot of defensive pieces that I think, you know, if they could just figure it out on the offensive side of the ball, find some long-term solutions there, some legitimate game winners on that side of the ball, this Jets team is not going to be the you know the laughing stock or the, or the butt of every joke. But when you continue to stroll out Josh McCown, a combination of Isaiah Crow and Bill Palau, Robbie Anderson, these wide receiver core, the offensive line hasn't played well. It's hard to really get them from being the Jets, you know, the the, the bad bad Jets. I, I think this offensive side of the ball needs the most help of you know, of of you know possibly any side of the ball in, in terms of in terms of the NFL right now. I think this offensive side of the ball needs a, a complete rehaul, and that starts with picking the QB they want. And I just hope they can find him at three. Yeah, and you know, I made the comment about uh, Derek. I mean, uh, Lee Smith and those guys and their combined s- catches. How many, I bet you they combined have more than Eric Tomlinson, Jordan Leggett, and Neil Sterling, who are the tight ends on the roster for the Jets right now. And I like Jordan I like Jordan Leggett coming out. I had a chance to interview him in that pre-draft process coming out of Clemson. And he's a guy that stood out to me in terms of he wants to get, you know, he wants to have a long career in this league. He's a work, he work, he's a hard worker. He sh- he's flashing athleticism at Clemson. The biggest thing with him was drops. He was able to get across that drop problem. I think he's a guy that can, you know, you can have a lot of success. I don't think we should rule out him, but in terms of those guys you mentioned, I think they, they definitely need some help there. And especially losing Austin Severian Jenkins. He was one of the he was one of the stars of that team last year. And you let him go to free agency, I think I don't know. It's it, you ha- you have to hope they find maybe a little bit more of a 
a little bit more of a dynamic game changer at the tight end position just to help out whoever this young QB is going to be. Before I move on from Hackenberg, I want to go back to this 2016 NFL draft. He was drafted with the 51st overall pick. Can you guess who has drafted the pick after him? Uh, uh, who you got? Who you got? Deion Jones, linebacker, Atlanta Falcons. Literally the pick after him. Can you believe that? Uh, it always, I feel like looking back at those is just like pulling teeth. You always see someone who got taken the like three picks after or a couple rounds here that ends up being the star. I mean, there could have been honestly almost anyone picked right after Christian Hackenberg and it would have been a better pick though. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm looking at some, I'm looking at some of these other names too. It's like yeah, you know, Tyler Boyd, he's caught more passes than he's played snaps. You know, Cody Whitehair started. You've had, you know, Robert Aguayo was picked after him. That's obviously another bust as well. We have Cyrus Jones who's played even some special teams, Von Bell, James Bradbury. You're looking at starters. All these other guys have started, at least started in the league and to see just a guy that has not even played a down in the NFL in terms of being in regular, in terms of regular season snaps and all these other guys that are drafted after him. It, it just blows me away. I, I think the jets have to be so upset with the, with the pick they made. Let me, let me ask you this. So obviously the Patriots are the favorites to win this division. If there was one of these other teams that was going to sneak in as possibly a wild card, who do you think would be, who, who has the best chance in your eyes? Man, all, it, that's such a tough question. I, I honestly want to say none. If I, had to, if I had to bet my life on it, I would say none. I think all three of these teams are in such a rebuild. The Bills are rebuilding. The Dolphins are rebuilding. You know, the Jets are obviously rebuilding, if not trying to scratch the surface on rebuilding. It's, it's hard to even pick any one. If I had to pick one, I'd say the Dolphins. I think they, they actually have a quarterback that has you know proven to be at least somewhat legitimate in this league. I know I don't know how Ryan Tannehill is going to be coming off the injury, but I like Kenyon Drake. I think the, 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 um, not Devontae Adams. Devontae Parker has shown some. I, I don't know. I think the Miami Dolphins have the most pieces and the most in terms of overall experience at key positions. I think they have it. But even then, though, I, there's not a lot I want, I'm willing to bet on on that roster. The Bills don't know have a QB yet. The Jets don't have a QB yet. If you had to pick one, you'd say the Dolphins. But bottom line is I'm not picking any if I have to bet my life on it. Yeah, and I mean, it's pretty well documented, a Bill Belichick defense against rookie QBs, and there's a possibility of three rookie QBs in this division. Um, it's pretty much a foregone conclusion the Patriots are in. I would have to say the Bills if I had to pick one. I mean, they made the playoffs last year. Might as well give them a... I think they have the most pieces outside of quarterback than any of these other teams, especially on defense. Um, but I think it's a, an easy road to another Patriots 12 and four season here. Yeah. That, 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 you know, having the AFC East, you know, on the outside looking in in terms of playoff spot opens up other things for this in this AFC, hopefully crossing my fingers here for a Raiders playoff berth. Cause that one season we did have it and Connor Cook suited up in Houston almost brought me to tears. I'd like to see Derek Carr actually have a chance at one. And let, let's end on this, this state of the franchise for the Jets, obviously bagging on them a lot, but say they get a quarterback that you like, say they get Josh Allen, say they get Josh Allen, a guy that you really like, What's your win-loss for them? I know this is early. They don't have the QB, but I'm saying Josh Allen goes to the Jets at number three overall. What's your win-loss for this Jets in 2018? Wow. Uh, yeah, even if they got Josh Allen, I'd maybe give them six wins max. I think six six would be their peak unless this defense somehow comes together and ends up being you know, a force around Josh Allen in this offense, and it's just kind of a they, – they build around him and make it easy for him. 
I, I don't see Josh Allen or any quarterback going out and winning games with this offense for the Jets. So I'd say about six games. Yeah, I, I think with I'm going to push that ceiling just to seven. I don't know if I'm playing devil's advocate before I like this defense a little bit more than you, but I'll push it to seven if they get the QB like, say it's Josh Allen, and they're able to put you know put some things together. Just because the division's so weak. Yes, you played the Patriots twice, chalked that up as two L's, but you can get a couple W's against the Bills. You can get a couple W's against the, the Dolphins. You win some other games here. I, I think you start put, maybe putting out seven wins. I don't think that's going to be enough for a wild card spot. But I do think that maybe that's their ceiling. Yeah, absolutely. Nothing more than that. Definitely not a winning season. <laughs> no, no winning season happened for the Jets. And, and that's going to do it for us here at Down a Distance. We talked a lot of stuff. Obviously, went over a lot of things. Be sure to subscribe, like the podcast, continue to listen. We're going to continue to go through these teams on State of the Franchise, talking a lot of stuff, pro days here and there. It's always going to be a good time here on Down a Distance. Thanks again, for John, for joining me. I really appreciate your time, and I appreciate you guys for listening. Have a good one.